Hello folks, I'm Joel Van Hoogen, and this is the Bread of Life. Our program is supported by your gifts, but it's brought to you out of the heart of two ministries. One is Church Partnership Evangelism, where I'm the executive director and have been for over 30 years. We're a disciple-making ministry among the nations. To learn more, go to traincpe.org. The other sponsoring ministry is the Bread of Life Fellowship, where I'm the Bible teacher. We meet in the Old White Church in the Warm Springs area of Boise for worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. Please, when you're able, feel free to join us for worship. And now let's turn to God's Word. In Luke chapter 23, we have Jesus interceding for those who participated in his death. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. This prayer was a prayer that rose from his determined will to die for us. It was a prayer from a certain place of power. It was also a prayer made with deep pity for those for whom he was praying. Christ pities us in our sins and where our sins are going to take us. Again, it's a prayer made while Jesus was suffering great pain. And yet the pain he experienced did not thrust him into his own self, but drew out from him a prayer for you and I. Now today we must understand exactly what Jesus was praying for when he asked the Father to forgive us. With power, in pity, and in pain, I want you to understand what the Lord Jesus was praying for. I want you to see that in his intercession seeking for forgiveness, he is actually seeking that the conditions for that forgiveness might be realized in those that he's praying for. He's praying that they would see their sin and repent of their sin and realize God's forgiveness. That's actually what the Lord Jesus is praying for. The Lord Jesus offers a defense for them. He says to them, they don't know what they're doing. Well, well, they knew some of the things they were doing. They knew that they had got false witnesses to come and speak against them. At least some of them knew that. They knew that they were crying out for an innocent man who had conducted miracles among them to be crucified while they were calling out for the release of an insurrectionist and a murderer. They knew that. They knew that they were behaving cruelly as they beat him and as they nailed him to the cross. And they knew their mocking and their shaming of them. They knew these things. They knew what they were doing in these things. What they didn't know. What did they not know? What they didn't know was that they were crucifying their Messiah. They didn't know that they were crucifying their Savior, the Son of God. And so Jesus offers a defense for them in his prayer. Father, release them. They don't know what they do. They don't know what they're doing. And he's making a defense for them. But understand something. He's not making an excuse for them. He's not exonerating them. They are still guilty of crucifying the Lord of glory. And that guilt is still upon them. Go to Acts chapter 3. You'll see a sermon that Peter is preaching. Peter, in the power of the Holy Spirit, that same spirit that resided upon the Lord Jesus throughout his earthly ministry and rested upon him as he made his way to the cross and spoke these very words. Peter is speaking through the power of that same spirit and he's addressing the people of Jerusalem. And he's in the temple. The very place where they had plotted and planned for his crucifixion. And this is what Peter says to them. Read in verse 13 of Acts chapter 3. This is what Peter tells the people gathered around him as he's preaching. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. 
But you denied the Holy One and the just or righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses. Now these words are very similar to something that Peter had preached just a short time before on the day of Pentecost when the Spirit has been outpoured upon the church and they went out into the streets of Jerusalem and began to proclaim the good news. And you find that in Acts chapter 2, verses 22 and 23. So let me read to you. These are the same type of words. Peter stands up before the crowd that's before them and says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst, as you yourself also know. Him being delivered up by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Go back to Acts chapter 3. Go back to where we've read so far up to verse 15. Peter is saying to them, You're guilty. You denied him. You delivered him up. You denied the Holy One and the Righteous One. You asked for a murder in his place. You killed the Prince of Life. You crucified him with lawless hands. You're guilty. You're guilty. And he's not just saying this to some of them. He's not just pointing to the religious leaders. He's not just pointing to the men of the Sanhedrin. He's not running his fingers around to point at the different Roman soldiers who may have attended to that moment. He's speaking to the whole multitude. You're all guilty of this. Then see what Peter says in verse 17 of 3. It's what the Lord Jesus prayed. Yet now, brothers, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. You were ignorant of who you were killing. And yet you're still guilty. And what was needed for these individuals in this moment is to know what they had done. It was for them to understand the depth of their crime and their sin. What was needed for them in that moment was to understand their part in the cross of Jesus Christ and in His crucifixion and His death so that their ignorance might be removed from them and their guilt would be established in their understanding so that they might run and turn and repent and seek forgiveness and receive it. So you see, when the Lord Jesus was praying, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they do. He's praying that the condition of their ignorance of their sin and of their guilt would not remain but that knowing their sin and knowing what they're doing, they might one day come to confess it and be forgiven. Our intercession for individuals oftentimes will rise to the point of defending them. You know, as you're praying for people, as you're praying that God would work in their life and that they would come to believing faith in Jesus Christ and receive His life and His forgiveness, you begin to process through your mind defenses for them. You say things like, Lord, my grandfather has never really heard the gospel from anyone his whole life. He's never been in a place where it's ever been articulated to him in any way. Or you say, Lord, she has been surrounded her life by hypocrites who have been a false advertisement for who you are, and she has no idea of who you are because of the people that have surrounded her, these hypocritical people. Or you say, Lord, listen, my children or my grandchildren are being swept away in a generation that is being swept away in godlessness. It's a godless age and a godless time. And you're making a defense for them in a sense. You're saying these are the reasons why they're in this state or they're in this situation. But really as you make your defense, you're actually praying something positive for them. You're saying, God, send somebody to my grandfather so they might hear the gospel clearly and understand it. You're saying, God, put before this dear woman, my friend, put before her individuals 
who are pure examples of your presence and your life so that she might see the truth of Jesus Christ in the lives of others. You're praying, God, intervene in this godless age. Intervene before this generation and make yourself known to them. You're praying a defense for them, but you're also praying that God would do something to remedy the situation. That's exactly what the Lord Jesus is praying for. By the way, Peter brings a message of light to these people. Peter is the one who is showing them what their sin really was. That's a remedy. They didn't know what they were doing. He's showing them what they've done so they can repent. And then Peter invites them into repentance. So back to Acts chapter 3, verses 17. Verse 17, we read it. Basically, the prayer that Jesus is praying is to send somebody to them to help them understand the extent of their sin and its gravity. Send somebody to tell them these things so that they can recognize it and see it and their ignorance will be removed and they call it to you for repentance. That's what we all need, by the way. Anyone who ever comes to the Lord Jesus comes to the Lord Jesus in a moment when they realize that they're not just little sinners. They've not just had some white things. They've not just been fouled up by other people. It's at a moment of time when they see their own sin and their own life, the depth of their sinfulness becomes realized by them and they can no longer make excuses for it and they can no longer project it on the way they were raised or project it upon their society or project it upon bad breaks. They see their own sin. God graciously reveals to them so that they in that moment might see their Savior, the only one who can save them. They don't say, you know, if I could just rise over this situation, if I could just kind of get past this point, if I could just do a little better the next time. No, they say, there's no way out from this. Unless I find a Savior who can redeem me and rescue me because it's me. It's my sin. It's me. That's what God does. And that's what the Lord Jesus is praying for here. He's praying that someone will go to them and tell them of their sin and call them into repentance. And the answer to his prayer is Peter. And it's the early church. And it's the early church in Jerusalem. That's exactly what they do. What does Peter say to them after telling them, you're the ones who have done this, and acknowledging their guilt? The next thing he does is he acknowledges their ignorance. Verse 17, Yet now, brethren, I know you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But you did it. You did it anyhow. And then he says this, But those things which God foretold by the mouth of his prophets that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled Repent, therefore. You did it still. Repent, therefore, and be turned or converted that your sins would be blotted out, removed, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Jesus' intercession on the cross is in part answered by the preaching of Peter and the early disciples of the church in Jerusalem after Pentecost. On that first day of preaching, revealing the sin of those in Jerusalem, that they had committed, we're told that the crowd before them was cut to the heart and they cried out, men and brethren, what must we do? And they're told to repent, to turn in faith to the outpoured life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were baptized in His name and we're told that 3,000 on that day believed on Him. And as a result of the proclaiming of the church in Jerusalem, what we come to understand is that God delays His judgment on the city of Jerusalem for 40 years. And during that 40 years, many within that city will come to see their sin and see their Savior and repent and believe upon Him and be forgiven by the Father, just as the Lord Jesus prayed. And He prayed for us too. He prayed for us too, and that's why we're here. And so we pray to an end. We pray for forgiveness to be realized. 
And we pray that the conditions for that forgiveness to be brought about, that people would be aware of the profundity of their own sin and its depth and the fact that it is not answerable in anything that they can do and there's no answer for it apart from the cross of Jesus Christ and what Jesus has suffered in their place. We pray for them. And we also pray for the church. We pray that God would raise up an interceding church who knows his power of salvation, who pities those who are in their sin still, who, before the advancing judgment of God, prays not getting lost in their own pain and suffering, but prays that those who are facing the endless pain would be delivered from it. We pray for a people who would be ready then to be voices, pulling back the ignorance people have of their own sin and their own accountability before, to reveal to them its guilt and to tell them the place where that guilt has been answered and paid for and to point them to the person who washes away every sin. That's what we pray for. We pray, God, let me pray in this way. God, let me live a life before you that demonstrates this to others. God, raise up a church that will continue to walk alongside of you in your intercessions because Jesus, you ever live to make intercession. Even still, you're praying for these. Let's pray for them too. Thanks for listening to The Bread of Life, a ministry of Church Partnership Evangelism and the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. I want to extend to you a welcome to join our worship every Sunday at 11 a.m. in the Old White Church at 1023 East State Street in the Warm Springs area of Boise. To learn more, Go to breadoflifeboise.org and follow the links. Until the next time, may God bless you.